Hello, ladies and jelly beans. People of all ages and descriptions and colours and inclinations. My name is Lord Coleridge Bryant Esquire and this is my compadre. Oh, just call me Amber. I don't need any of that Lord or Lady shite. Yeah, why not? But uh, today we're focusing on collaborations. Essentially working together create in a creative way, which is probably the most common thing across all platforms. Music, dance, drama... All of it. Exactly. And a prime example is this wonderful collaboration we're doing right now oh in the God. form of a podcast. So meta. Mate, that's a bit meta. <laughs> so meta. Oh my God, so meta. We're so meta about how meta we, we, we are. are. We are so meta about being meta. We're metaception. So um, we're recording this uh, in the new year. We are recording this in the new year. Yes, uh, which we can tell you all because we're we're doing it. We're doing it more on the roll now. We're doing it more with the times. Yeah, I'd love to give a shout out for the people who have been listening and an explanation for the newer people that are a bit confused. We made our initial plan was to start this nearly a whole year ago. Twenty twenty fucked us like it did most people. It did. So we weren't able to travel to each other. Work went crazy. We had to juggle so many things and find a new system. So slowly over 2020, we made our first handful of episodes. And now we kind of know what we're doing. We have our system in place and we're able to more confidently release weekly episodes. And this is our first one of those. Yeah. Now it's all gravy and we are very excited. Fucking love um, gravy. So, um, <laughs> we, we, collaboration. So, I've got some bits to talk about. There was something, was there something you wanted to talk about with collaborations? So I wanted to hear from you first, actually. You wanted to hear from me first? Okay. Well, I touched on it before, but um, essentially, one of the genres of theatre is a devised piece. And devising means when you don't have a script and you work together as a group until you know what your show is. So that's probably the most collaborative experience that I can think of off the top of my head. Mm. You know, with a lot... In in fact, with the big group numbers, like the big West End stuff, it's not really a collab. It's this is the choreographer, this is the fight director, this is the... And you do as you're told. And it's actually very, very specific. Mm. Whereas Medusa was devised and they had a a markup script that they had used in their previous performance. So we had something to start with. But even then, we just knew it was not going to be the same. We Mm. read through it and we went, okay, here's where they left off. Where do we take it next? And I know I've already talked about it quite a lot, but it was a really beautiful atmosphere working Mm. with Medusa because we very openly would disagree with each other. And that was fine. Um, The director, Katie Merritt, wonderful woman. Love her to pieces. I remember just for example, one day I said oh, I really like this bit that we've come up with because I feel like we've done so much that's very movement heavy and visual and kind of, you know, again, meta, that I think Mm. this will be a nice breather. And she heard me say that. And even though she was my superior, she kind of said to me, is that a concern? Do you feel like Hmm. um, we're getting to that point where it's going to be a bit too much, too much movement and music and effects? Because I've been given that feedback before. So even though she was my superior, she listened. But also there were points where 
you know, I not even just me, but one person saying this, another person's disagreeing. And when you're not mm. sure, we all turn to the director and kind of go, okay, the final call is yeah. yours. But devising is a really wonderful experience. But I know that you've got really current projects. So I was thinking if you tell us about yours oh, yeah, yeah. and I'll chime in when I have relevant stuff. <laughs> see, see, I was actually really interested. I mean, I know you want to move it on to me and, and because which, which I'm very grateful for because I am an attention whore. Yeah. But um, I did, there's actually loads of things I wanted to ask you about that particularly Go for um, it, with Medusa as well but you've, you've touched on a few things there about um, disagreements when you're collaborating with people is a, is a huge deal and I imagine for you another thing was um, you know particularly with Medusa mm. you've got this whole world of Greek theatre mm. and there's a whole whole uh, kind of chorus uh, for yeah. want of a better word yeah. of uh, material out there and different perspectives and interpretations of, of Greek Greek tragedy and Greek comedy etc yeah um, and I mean I suppose you've got to wrestle with do you want to be more traditionalist do you want to be uh, more modern what what uh, what kind of things do you want to say? And I suppose you're working as well to different people's skill sets. So I suppose Absolutely. that's all things to bring into account. And I was a bit curious about um, when you're doing devising, do you work from, like you said, a, a basic script or a previous script and then kind of uh, work around ideas on no, that? Or the do only you reason we use started... something like a prompt or uh, uh, like a, like a yeah. kind of basic strategy and outline for the what you're only doing? reason we started with let's call it the skeleton is because the company had already been working on it so we weren't the first production um but no you're you're totally right in that day one has to be what a, what is the goal here because hmm. you don't have a, a, the script is normally the skeleton the script normally tells you the beginning the middle and the end and you can sit and analyze why is it a political play is it a love tragedy and you can sit and agree on that quite base like those themes and then go with it with a device piece you've gotta you've gotta find what's pushing it uh we had loads our main one was you know telling the woman's story Uh, medusa in the past and in myth has always been this monster that needs to be taken down by the male um by perseus and we were like well hold on let's talk about her story and we knew that and also we had some people that had been in the previous productions which obviously helped um and then and then the director she was just so great she had all of these exercises that helped us create the show without us realizing she was like i want mm. you to there were se- there were sessions where she told us to think of images and this is a big one in, in physical mm. theater you know think of an image that comes from either the script it can be but an image that comes from the story or from the themes show mm. our images to each other and next thing you knew we had a movement sequence that became the opening of the show there were other mm. stages where Uh, For those who don't know, the basic story of Medusa, tiny trigger warning here, is that she gets ravaged in some interpretations, it's rape, in some interpretations it's not, by a Poseidon, uh, but because she's a priestess, she gets punished and she becomes this monster. So yeah. we we had a free writing session where we took each person took a different atmosphere a different feeling a different sensation and wrote about it so we had anger awe pleasure fear confusion and we all went into our little corners with our notebooks and wrote monologues and then we built around them so there's so many ways but i think i think the most important thing when you're devising because you do not have that i mean director's always important but because you don't have that script 
giving you the scene by scene breakdown, giving you that structure. You need, you need a good leader. You absolutely mm. need that. And we absolutely had that. She's a, such a mm. wonderful woman. And yeah, we're, and, and that also is where it, when disagreements come in, we were a very kind group. Like I remember a girl called Nell. Oh, I love her so much. Uh, she actually ended up casting me in something that she wrote after Medusa. But in Medusa, we were, we were peers. And I can't remember mm. what the actual situation was because, you know, that's not the stuff that we remember. We remember how we dealt with the situation. And I remember making an offer and then she said something else and I just said I think you misunderstood me and she went oh did I and then I explained myself again and it turned out I had misunderstood her and she went no no Mm. I got that and what I'm saying is x y and z and I went oh so I made the mistake okay cool but there was that was a conflict it was just a conflict Mm. that we handled kindly and maturely and with respect for each other oh yeah um as far as yeah again the different skill sets go I definitely became resident consultant when it came to myth 100% because in the auditions we did the whole let's get to know each other tell us why we're here things and and how and what we have to offer that was in the auditions and I said you know Mm. I have a degree in classics but then a master's in acting and this is the the best of both worlds so again our fantastic leader Katie Merritt can't rep the woman enough she was clearly scanning for all those different skills and on day one she kind of already knew roughly who who she'd chosen and why and so that she helped us to kind of discover that in each other mm. as well so uh, we talked about shibari last two weeks ago by the time this goes out yeah, yeah. and the girl there was a girl who came in that was her skill set she teaches it for a living she's so fantastic with it and she said here is this it's, it's always an offer i think that's a good way of thinking yeah. about it everything is an offer and it, it is not a hit to your ego if that offer isn't accepted that's Absolutely. all it is you offer offer your expertise you offer your knowledge and your ideas people can take it people can leave it again Nell said this phrase that I loved she one day just went I'm gonna throw this and if you don't want it just throw it back and I thought that yeah. was such a lovely it's a great turn phrase. Of phrase yeah exactly yeah. And, and I used it for the rest of our whole process a big thing as well uh the theatre company really prides themselves on and I'm really glad I've remembered to say this I'd feel really bad if I forgot prides themselves on inclusivity that was a very very important driving force so we had almost every cast member could speak a second language at least to a certain degree so the monologues that we all wrote we all then translated and every monologue had an English and another language we had Korean French German, Italian. That's awesome. It was amazing. The company was working with a company called Global Hives and Global Hives Mm. cares about international relations and love and freedom of expression and art and all of that. Um, And then also Katie's company itself, um, Fusion Theatre, cares about inclusivity as far as ability goes. So Mm. everything we did was described and we found creative ways of um, of doing that that wasn't just someone stood there describing what's on stage. And that was for the benefit of people who couldn't see. So we had what we called a touch tour. Before the show started, we described everything you could see. We oh, described wow. ourselves as actors. We I remember us having a whole, I don't want to say debate, 
but a whole mm, miscommunication as to why we were all saying our pronouns. And I remember somebody else saying, oh, but I don't care what pronouns people use. And I remember challenging her and I went, but you do, you do care. If someone decided to not refer to you by your name and your female identity, that would Mm. really bother you. You've just never had that situation. Yeah, yeah, But you would care if someone decided to say your identity doesn't matter. And by all of us yeah. saying our pronouns, we're making a point in saying we care about inclusivity. So even you know though it, uh, we were all cis people, we still yeah. said these are my pronouns. Um, yeah, sorry, yeah. what were you going to say? Well, actually, just just about pronouns quickly, because we, we don't tend to talk about things outside of our kind of fields on the show, mm. but it's something to touch on because uh, I've started on all my kind of social media that I actually use using my pronouns um, because it it enforces this idea that you should just, yeah, just check in with people, yeah. you know, and, I, and I'm all for that because uh, I, I've got plenty of friends who don't fit into the kind of binary um, descriptions and I realise that if I if I promote that kind of culture in myself in just a normal casual way it makes yes. life infinitely better for other people so hey absolutely do- because what do you're it. doing I by, in that. by putting your pronouns on your social media you're not patronizing people you're not saying oh in case anyone wasn't sure what you're doing is you are saying i care about respecting your identity I care that you feel safe and I want you to know that when you talk to me, you can correct me. You can tell me your pronouns and I will listen. So that was a very big driving force in Medusa. So we cared. We always introduced with our pronouns. We described everything that happened on stage and we also had subtitles through the whole thing. So I actually think one of the regrets of the show also to be fair our final performances were march so they were the lead up to covid so our audiences weren't as strong as they could have been um and we did get a decent number of people who were deaf blind some on the spectrum all sorts of abilities coming to the show but i just really wish that we'd we'd got that out there more We'd got. I really wish we'd been able to have You've more been able to people. That whole aspect of it. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Because not many. I've not seen that many theatre companies put that much. I haven't seen any shows that put as much effort that. into this as we did to make sure that there was still a sense of spectacle and wonder and joy and storytelling. If you can't see or you can't hear, so that was. Yeah, so we absolutely. had all these common values, and as long as we remember those common values. And treat each other with respect. So the main values, I would argue, were feminism and inclusivity. But also Katie is a very movement, metaphorical, imagery-driven director. And so we just also went with her direction. And before you know it, and like I said, just treat each other with basic, basic respect. Don't let your ego get hurt by someone disagreeing with you or your idea not getting used and before you know it you've got something you're really really proud of and that you've created together if one of us hadn't been there it would have been a different show and that's yeah. collaboration and that's great that's 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 the whole part of it you've got to have um there's a there's a, a whole uh, phrase around the word compromise people think of the word compromise as a negative when it's really not it's it's about getting the best for both parties and yeah you don't get absolutely everything you want but sometimes things are better when they're it's like it's like, it's like metal yeah and not metaphorical musical metal i mean metal alloys are better they're stronger they're more useful they're more mm. durable um so much stuff uh, popped into my brain during what you were talking about Amazing. with Medusa about, um, about everything. 
there's a thing about conflict resolution. And something that happened uh, to me, uh, as being as part of a band, I've, I've grown up with a band, which is actually quite an interesting kind of way that's framed my whole life. Because I was in the band since I was 16, and I'm 28 now. So I've gone through so many stages of your life as you become who you're going to be as an adult. And uh, a part of that was to, was conflict resolution. I used to not be great at it. I used to not be great at collaborating with other people, at compromising with other people. Uh, and I would either give in or not give in enough. You know what I mean? All right. So do so, you think it um, came from you wanting to compromise too much? I think I compromised too much a lot of the time when I was younger. I didn't have that kind of sense of confidence in myself um, that I do as an adult. Uh, Whereas now I can be more like, listen, this time I actually do know the right way of doing this because I know, you know, how how I'm doing this. A lot of that's to do with uh, songwriting is what we're really talking about there with the band at least. Um, things to do with hey I want to do this because of this 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 and this and part of that actually is growing up with someone and recognizing their own strengths and their own individual skill sets as you said so my particular skill set means that I'm very good at working things out in terms of music and fitting things together and uh turning things into patterns and making stuff uh well kind of the kind of refining part of the songwriting process and when I was younger I wasn't as confident in expressing that and so with the rest of the band they weren't necessarily as uh open to my ideas when it came to refining ideas and um it's interesting there's actually a bit of a prejudice which you might not expect but there's a bit of a prejudice among musicians playing instruments in a bra- in a band so bass players guitarists drummers etc when dealing with singers because most singers sing all the time and they don't have to learn scales in the same way and they don't have to learn certain things most of the time a lot of people just sing from when they were young and listening to music and sing along to things and then they end up singing uh, live. I think we've touched on this before about how we talked about transposing. It's really easy to transpose your voice. I know that you have to do technical training to be a good singer. I'm not undermining that. But I can change keys, no problem. And I'm not particularly well trained at singing but i know how to, hmm. i can change my voice much more easily than you can yeah. change the guitar riff so it's yeah. just it's not as technical it's not technical in the same way facts are facts yeah <laughs> it's it's very true um if you're playing something with an open string where i play a string that just resounds and i don't fret anything with my finger i'm playing the natural kind of note of that string and if i've written a whole piece of music that revolves around reverting back to that string without me putting anything on it with my finger then it's going to be immensely difficult to work out a different way of playing it in a different key that suits the singer so a lot of singers end up having to write songs that are maybe a bit too low for them or a bit too high for them or maybe they uh, write songs that are the right key for them but they don't get to do the kind of interesting harmonic stuff that they want to do because they're not physically able to because of the nature of the key that they're sitting in and that's mm. that's a big thing that happens with singers in bands I found um, hey well sorry but the band's playing in E so I know it'd be easier for you to sing in C but we can't really do that um, and that's really why a lot of rock music sounds the way it does because typically instruments are tuned in a certain way so there's another thing about that whole conflict resolution thing and something you said about people bringing ideas to the table. Yeah. And what's wonderful about my relationship with the band as an adult 
and really my songwriting partnership with Nath is that we will just throw ideas at each other and we'll feel confident and we won't care if something gets rejected, you know? If, if, if I say to Nath, listen, that riff's okay, but it's not really what we want to be doing and it doesn't fit in with the other stuff we're writing at the moment, so hey, I mean, it's fine, but it's not, you know, it's not what we want. And Nath will go, yeah, I think you're probably right, mate. And completely the same thing from me. If I come up with an idea and I put it out to him, uh, and he says, nah, it's not quite right, mate, then, you know, that's great. That's, that's a really good thing because it means actually you vet each other because it's easy to get lost in what you're doing. It's I- easy to, um, you know, come up with an idea in the night, love it in the night, and then you listen a week later and it just doesn't sound right because you're basically using fresh ears, you know? Yeah. And when we were younger, when we had, we used to have two guitarists when we were kids and um, one of them was a bit younger than us. And me and Nath had kind of started started developing that relationship of, okay, we can be each other's kind of, you know, check guy, you know, we can vet each other. And yeah. unfortunately, this other guitarist, and he ended up quitting, and I think it was because of this, is because he was bringing ideas to the table and it just wasn't right, you know. Um, at that point in time, we were a bit more classic rocky, and that's kind of changing now. That's why, why I'm so excited for what we release in the coming year. But... Uh, we were kind of more classic Rocky and this guy would say hey guys I've come up with this riff and then it would sound exactly like some some band from the 70s or the 80s and they'd be like listen mate we're trying to find who we are and what we want to sound like and we don't just want to be like hey let's that's let's sound like that band that sounds like Van Halen or or Black Sabbath or or ACDC or something we don't want to sound like that we want to sound like ourselves part of that is um again that whole maturity thing um working out who you are and working out you know what is your voice really and part of that is actually genuinely to do with uh the progression to adulthood so it's interesting what listening to any band who um come together when they're young and you know uh, are still releasing music music when they're adults you know yeah it's it's a whole vibe so there we go i want to add something as well when it comes to disagreeing can i offer some advice to anyone listening it's much more effective and it's also just much kinder if you don't agree with something i would say offer the reason why and offer an alternative because otherwise you're just the guy going nah and i remember doing my a levels and i was i we were doing a we were doing um the maids by jenny a french playwright it's a really good french play and we were doing it in the style of Stephen Burkoff, okay? Yeah. And so Stephen Burkoff, for people who don't know, he was very visual, almost. I think he'd. I, I'd be surprised if he didn't take inspiration from mime. He had a. He had very pale face paint and very over the top expressions, and everything was mimed, and it was all a little bit heightened and weird and kind of fucking crazy and so we're constantly constant there's there was no bit of the script that we could just leave to do the lines sat around a table we had to constantly be creating something and i just had that situation which we all get when we're when we're under 18 and we're the keen little drama kid and the other kids are just trying to get an easy a and also what annoyed me is the other kids were very intelligent but they just did not care and they were constantly constantly telling me why my ideas didn't work 
And I remember thinking, mm. fine, but then, but it's okay to start with a bad idea. Start with the bad idea. Oh, yeah. Try it. Work out why it's a bad idea and then do the opposite or say, well, thing is, we already did that earlier. So what if instead we did this? Whereas they accused me of being sensitive and being egotistical because yeah, yeah. my ideas weren't being taken. When that really wasn't the case, what was the case was I felt like they were leaving me to do the entire creative process myself and they got to just sit and be critics because oh, you were the actor. I, I was the drama student. I was the one who loved this. But it was like, no, bounce off me. We got our friend to help us with our tech run. So she sat there with like, you know, a tech script doing the little lights that we'd rented and stuff. Yeah. And she offered more ideas on that one day than the other two combined had offered all fucking term because she went, well, what if instead you did this and we went well that wouldn't work but what we could do is take that idea and do it in this way so i'm just saying if you don't agree with someone that's fine kindly say why and offer an alternative even if your alternative isn't much better offer something Mm. five percent better and if everyone keeps doing that keeps throwing this idea back and forth five percent better each time you will end up with a good idea yeah but don't just sit there and go no i don't like it Fuck those part people. Of it is, is you, you've got, <laughs> yeah. you've, you, part of it is you've got to have clear reasons and like smart, you know, cerebral thought out reasons for why something doesn't quite work. Because often when you express those, you'll realise there is a different perspective on this idea. And actually, if we did it in a certain other way, you know, it's part of that. It's part of, it's an intellectual process, a lot of this stuff. And maybe don't be too impassioned about saying, that's a shit idea. What the fuck are you talking about? Because, because... Actually, like, you can say, listen, I don't think that works and here's why. But when you think about here's why, usually you can find, well, if we tweak that reason why, then it would actually be a pretty damn good idea, wouldn't it? That happens in music all the time. A lot of, uh, a lot of that actually comes down to um, people being afraid of not making things complicated. That happens in music a lot. You have uh, people who come up with ideas that simply, hey, I can just do this one droning note and I've got stuff in my head that I can't articulate. There's a whole thing about that in music that you're not able to articulate all this massive ideas and the whole context of, of how, how your, your, your thing would fit in, in, in a band setting with other instruments. You know, if you can do some, some, some idea where it's just one note ringing out over over for ages and ages and ages but but in the terms of context that sounds great on its own that would be pretty terrible right but um, a prime example of that would be the song Pinball Wizard by uh, The Who uh, Pete Townsend if you listen to the first riff the the amazing guitar riff so if you listen to the whole of um, the intro of Pinball Wizard the note B rings out through the whole thing until it changes at the very end when the verse comes in. And he had this idea of, I have this one note and it goes all the way through. He was basing it off this uh, theory of this one composer. Can't remember his name. Um, But, you know, sometimes the core of an idea can be really valuable. So don't just dismiss things out of hand straight away that's something uh, something you have to deal with with all creatives you know yeah yeah definitely um acdc you know three chords in almost every song and yet it's fantastic you know yeah. uh, acdc is a brilliant band there's a reason they're like the biggest selling rock band of all time have the biggest selling rock album of all time it doesn't matter that they're simplistic you know no. they're just really good at putting it all together well, yeah for sure. And, you know, they found something they really liked and just kept doing it for about 40 years and i can't blame them though because 
you know, A, that's a brand, but B, like, I get hyped whenever I hear ACDC, and you always know yeah. it's ACDC. So yeah. you call it simple, but you've got an iconic voice, you've got an iconic yep. style, and I think you could argue the reason it might sound, I don't agree with this, but if someone were to say, oh, but it's, su- it's such obvious rock music, I'm like, well, yeah, bitch, because they've been doing it f- since the 70s. Yeah. It wasn't <laughs> obvious it back then. 75, 74. Yeah. yeah, so actually, all the music you listen to is inspired Man. by them, so learn some respect. ACDC, <laughs> ACDC is a phenomenal band. I, I could, oh, yeah. I could tell talk talk to you for ages about ACDC they come up from a particular kind of uh, kind of a subgenre of Australian pub rock and there are a number of Australian pub rock bands another one is Rose Tattoo who sound a lot like ACDC particularly okay. at that point in time um, and they 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 found something incredible um, that just suited them exactly right and it was really based on 50s rock and roll um, here's another interesting thing you know the song Mississippi Queen right Mississippi Queen. Oh, yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, that one, right? So, Angus Young, when he was a child, was obsessed with uh, that band Mountain, who wrote Mississippi Queen. Okay. And he's obsessed with the guitarist. And if you listen to his guitar tone, it's like an exact clone of that song. And trust me, guys. Now, the other guy was using a different kind of guitar, uh, but a similar amp. But. Uh, similar, similar. They're both Gibson. He, uh, Angus Young plays a Gibson SG, the one that looks like the Devil Horns, because he's a very short guy and it's very light, whereas in the guy in Mountain was playing a Gibson Les Paul. But as I was saying, sorry, just love ACDC. They found something wonderful and they just kept going. And people were inspired by that. And if you listen to the band Airborne, yes, they sound a lot like ACDC, but that's partially due to this Australian pub rock thing that they they were kind of in the spirit of. I fucking love the um, sound of Australian pub rock. It's another brilliant band. I want to go and yeah, discover that, but I'm terrified of going to Australia. I mean... Uh, do you know what? Here's, I can give you a brilliant example of British pub rock bands from a particular part in, in England in the 70s. You know... Um, the guys who wrote Sultans of Swing. What's what's the band that wrote Sultans of Swing? Oh, I do know it. I'm going to Google it quickly. Sultans of Swing. Dire Straits. Dire Straits. Okay, so Dire Straits uh, came up out of a British kind of pub rock scene, but they were quite intellectual and they weren't very aggressive in their sound, really. Um, the uh, Mark Knopfler, I believe his name, Knopfler, um, amazing guitarist, doesn't use a guitar pick, right? Whereas uh, another band called Dr. Feelgood kind of came out of a similar kind of scene. Um, But they diverged really heavily. So they kind of started out as kind of bluesy British pub rock that had a very much a British feel. And they diverged from that. I'm so interested in kind of like the etymology of music, how, how things diverge from a certain point and then end up sounding completely different. Uh, years later Mm. and yet there's all these commonalities in between Mm. them a really good um, this is more about inspiration less about collab but um, a really good further example of that is is I think you can follow cinematic genre in such a it's so it's so obvious when you start looking at it when I was at uni we started studying film noir and German expressionism and it was probably the most fun I've had studying without like actually performing. Mm. Um, So German expressionism, 
for those who don't know, is heavily from the 30s. Essentially, when a lot of people left Germany in the 30s, they were like, fuck this, we're leaving. Yep, <laughs> they fair. They ended up in Hollywood. So what happened, and because Hollywood, Hollywood was, was an industry like any other, and, and at the time, it wasn't this creative, artsy, ooh, I know a Tarantino film when I see, it wasn't like a signature art form uh, to direct something back in the day and the German expressionists are arguably the first ones who did that because you had a whole new culture of people show up and go oh we make films here okay cool can I have a job making films and this whole new incredible genre appeared because a whole new culture appeared um, and what I loved studying it personally was it kind of filled a gap in my knowledge. I knew the history. I knew the theatre of the time really well. And then I found out about the cinema of the time. And then you can literally follow 20th century cinema and you can see the inspiration so, so clearly. So, you know, you've got the, a really famous one is in Nosferatu, where he's, he's a vampire, uh, if anyone wasn't sure. And you have exactly, that's the Thing. Cole just did an impression I'm of it. I'm just doing the thing in the background so, it's, that it's became him. like a trope for every every horror film afterwards. Ex- but that's that's my exact. The, you, you see the point. shadow on the wall and his fingers going like that. And he's got these and that nails. Everything. And you've got him everything. standing that, 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 up that, without yeah. actually trying. His body kind of yeah. floats onto his feet, like the reverse Michael Jackson lean. <laughs> yeah, actually, he just kind of lifts his whole body lifts without him moving, yeah. and it's so iconic. I had so much fun doing that. that, um, that be- course that became everything exactly that, that, that nosferatu particular clip that you're talking about became everything it's in alien it's in, it's in the freddy krueger um yes Nightmare on Elm freddy krueger is it's very in, inspired that particularly by it. that one is is so similar you yeah. look at the kind of uh, morphology of that character yeah and it's just boom right on it oh i love it i love it i chose um, to do last thing on this topic just because i'm really proud of it and i'm a massive nerd oh, mate, i want to talk about this topic in a minute but I, continue. I, I th- yeah um <laughs> I chose to do my kind of like final essay for that course on uh, fractured male identity, the fractured masculine identity and how it's represented Hmm. across expressionism and film noir. But I focused heavily on expressionism because also uh, two very famous expressionist stories are uh, Phantom of the Opera, the famous distorted man so so romantic until you see him and the hunchback and the hunchback of notre dame and it's you know and i and i did this whole analysis about do you know what it was during my degree i discovered i i i okay i'm going back a few steps now but before my degree i wasn't as feminist as i I, as i wish i had been as a teenager i went to a very sheltered all-girls school that was catholic and so at uni i got really into challenging that and learning things and i did a lot about um what's expected of women and the male gaze and all of these things so i actively made the decision to go right i'm now going to look at the male identity what's expected of men and what happens when they're not when they don't meet that criteria and so i did this big thing talking about the phantom of the opera versus raul who's the heartthrob of the film and um uh quasimodo versus what's his name the soldier that esmeralda ends up with you know the one do you see what i mean and then i had so much fun writing i felt so smug when i wrote this i said this leads me on to discussing possibly one of the most iconic villains in 20th century cinema semicolon the joker and i was like yeah bitches i'm talking about the joker in my final essay Uh, it's, but That's my point brilliant. is, you can see the way expressionism and film noir shaped a century of cinema, and there's no harm in being inspired by it. 
Okay, do you object to me talking about a quite specific subject that isn't to do with music, but is totally to do with cinema and something I hold very close to my heart? Absolutely not. I'll time okay. you. Okay. <laughs> so, um, two of my great loves in life, because I'm I'm not a cool person, okay? People think that being in a band Can makes confirm. you at least a little bit cool, right? Um, some people think that. Uh, I am a colossal nerd. Now, two things that I love in my life are uh, science fiction, as in good science fiction, stuff that's well-written, stuff that's that's clever and explores interesting ideas. Star Trek's a really good example of that, actually. I don't know about the new series. I haven't seen that. I, I refuse to. But um, another thing I love is westerns. I love westerns. Absolutely love them. Uh, I love the music of westerns. Ennio Morricone, one of the greatest uh, composers of all time, not just in film. Phenomenal. He can write things that will make you feel things. It's brilliant, okay? So... You were talking earlier about um, uh, we were track- tracking ideas and, and how something morphs into something else. Now, when the first westerns came around, I say the first westerns, when those spaghetti westerns came around, the Ennio Morricone, Sergio Leone was the uh, director. Um, he pretty much just straight up copied um, Far Eastern cinema samurai films, right? I think It's a Fistful of Dollars is pretty much a shot-for-shot remake of a very famous samurai film. And another example of that is The Magnificent Seven, which is based on The Seven Samurai. Everyone can tell you that. And they're all based on these wonderful Japanese stories. Oh, my God. Ah, I, Okay, Japanese storytelling is a wonderful thing in itself, but we'll talk oh about that later. Oh, my God, I know. So then something else that was based around Japanese storytelling, storytelling was... Star Wars, that was based around the idea of samurai and, and, and it was a kind of space opera was the genre at the time. And the wonderful thing about now is that people think of our modern uh, things that come up on Netflix and, and films and the big blockbusters as kind of pulp. But really, The Mandalorian follows those two ideas that, that, that diverged at a point in history, those Westerns and Star Wars sci-fi, and then brings them all back together. And so when you watch uh, The Mandalorian, you're watching somehow something that's totally a cowboy film, or series at least, and something that's totally Star Wars, more than anything else has been Star Wars in the last, like, what, 50 years or something. Um, so that's wonderful. Anyway. Can I just add that to I, one thing I don't know how I could leave no. that back to music, but I love that. I want to add one thing to that. Uh, my boyfriend and I were watching The Queen's Gambit, and he pointed out, I've got one episode left, I'm not going to give spoilers, but he pointed out that The Queen's Gambit is basically an anime story. It's the young character who needs um, role models because they don't have them who gets really it, I mean it's about chess but if you replaced chess with yeah with karate it's yeah. basically the karate kid oh like, yeah the karate kid yeah and you, and then once once he pointed that out I couldn't not see it there was one camera well, shot where the guy she had to play it was a close up profile of his face with her in the background a shot that is in every single anime yeah. I've ever seen in my life yeah yeah absolutely Joss, Joss, interesting about that. Um, you will definitely know about this, I'm sure, but I actually studied creative writing at university and I'm really interested in the idea of the hero's journey. Basically, it's this kind of structural thing that pops up in all forms of media. Okay, the idea is you've got this circle, right? And the circle starts with the hero being safe at home and nothing's wrong in their life, okay? But maybe the they Shire. yearn for more, okay? <laughs> so the idea is that there's these story beats do, 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 that change order slightly. Yeah, exactly. Such as Bilbo or Frodo. Uh, do, Lord of the Rings is the perfect version. 
you are distracting me with the incredible music of Howard Shaw, one of the other greatest composers of all time. But anyway, seriously, his use of leitmotif. Like, oh, I can talk to you loads about Lord of the Rings now. Anyway, for you at home, The Hero's Journey is a series of story beats that comes up through pretty much all forms of media. It's, it's all through uh, the Greek uh, mythology. It's all through any big fantasy story. And I was one thinking of the main that is, and didn't um, want to butt in and go it's actually from greek mythology and then you said it and i'm really happy thank you yeah, that's fine don't worry i was pretty sure it was because heracles is the other big one from that he's safe at his home and then there is a call to action and then he meets some kind of uh, mysterious stranger or oracle or so- an older person who knows things uh who helps them develop themselves or develop their journey right so there's a number of these story beats google it it's really interesting but you can watch all your favorite films or a lot of your favourite films at least, and you can track these individual story beats all the way through. And I actually personally think that's awesome. I think it's a wonderful uh, way that we all pretty much across the globe kind of relate to each other. Karate Kid is a perfect example of it. He's safe in his home. There is a call to action. Uh, I think he gets beaten up. And then the old man comes to him and says, hey, I can improve your life. And then there's all this struggle and blah, 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 blah. And there's, there's other beats about climaxes and then they have a failure and they come back from it. There's all this stuff you laughed at the word climax amber i saw you don't <laughs> you dare deny it but the hero's <laughs> journey is an awesome thing check out anything you love frodo gandalf turns up the call to action the ring's gone you know all this stuff all obi-wan whatever you know old men old wizards and old women but that's the thing i would love to see the it's hero's good. journey uh with female characters more it's just a shame how quickly it gets attacked it's just such oh, yeah. a shame but you know we're working on it art Art changes step by step. I had a moment the yep. other day. I might, if I can't remember it all, just gonna have to delete this. But I had a moment where I was like, the world needs art. Oh no, that's what it was. I was thinking about sex education. Have you seen Sex Education? I've not. I've been told to watch it, but I just <sighs> couldn't be bothered. <laughs> okay, people listening who know about the bus episode, someone posted a picture that was like this is still the best bit of tv of 2020 and it, and it really of the whole year and it was and i i remember when i watched that episode it resonated with me on such a real real place and every time i watch it i i cry like crazy and it's so beautifully written it's so it again it's so inclusive it's so diverse and it's true and it's it's about like the a struggle that a lot of people relate to and anyway I got reminded of it and then I went off on one and was saying to my boyfriend like this is what art should do <laughs> <laughs> can I tell you something else that art should do climax that, that we can, I can bring it back to music climax yeah because in Return of the King, when the Rohirrim ride down, and you hear, if your soul doesn't leave your body, then you are not a human being. Oh my God. Howard Shaw, one of the greatest composers of all time. So when he was brought uh, in by Peter Jackson, uh, they said to him, okay, uh, you've got to make the score for this amazing, incredible film. And it's such a huge story anyway, because people kind of forget, you know, Lord of the Rings was colossal before the films got made. Oh, it really Lord of the was. Rings is, yeah. is pretty much responsible for our entire view of what fantasy is now, yeah. like fantasy creatures, fantasy stories. That like, like It's like the baseline for which uh, we understand and relate to fantasy as an entire genre. And really, oddly enough, that's based off kind of German Teutonic myth and Norse myth and stuff. But um, he said, right, well, 
I guess I've got to write an opera because it's the only thing that's like large enough for me to bring all of this stuff in together, this whole world together. And it's going to be over three, like three hour films minimum. And he did the most incredible use of something called leitmotif. Amber, you know what leitmotif is, don't you? I believe it's allowed so. if you don't, that's fine. Leitmotif. I've heard the phrase. Leitmotif is the idea of um, a singular character or a singular place or idea or city or whatever mm. having its own theme. Right. And Howard Shaw's use of leitmotif in Lord of the Rings is like the most extensive use of it in it's film. It's really stark, isn't it? It's so, so strong contrast oh, so in the lighting. Good. And and when it, whenever you hum one of those tunes, you know you know who's being discussed. So da 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 So you know you're in the shire. You know that you're safe and you're comfortable. Hero's journey. Um, that's the start of the hero's journey every time, guys. And uh, he will use certain instruments for certain characters. So I think uh, uh, I think Legolas might be an oboe. Um, there's all this, this different stuff. <laughs> Legolas is he, such an oboe. He's such a oh my god, he's Legolas is like oboe. such an oboe right now. Oh my god, he's such like a reeded instrument based on a swarm or shawm. Anyway, anyway, shawm. Do you know what a shawm is? You know shawms. Everyone loves shawms. Anyway. It's a reeded instrument. It's basically like an oboe. Okay, thanks. Oboes, by the way, impossibly hard to play. Like, if you meet a, a, like, uh, orchestral oboist, they are... Is that what it's called? An oboist? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, must be. Yeah. Yeah. They're, like, top level. Yeah, they're very impressive. They're top of their game. Oboes are great. But, yeah, leitmotif... Oh, it's it's one of my favourite things, and particularly in film music. I'm really passionate about film music. And, um... Back to the Future is another example of... The best composers are the people that can write the best tunes. Hans Zimmer's another one of those. Um, uh, he uses leitmotif a lot in the parts of the Caribbean. Um, for example, with uh, Captain Jack Sparrow, etc., etc., etc. He's another fantastic composer. Man, I could just list all my favourite composers. John Williams, everyone loves him. It's fantastic. Anyway, Amber, I've been chatting balls about well, music actually, for ages. I was about to ask you about what you're collaborating on right now you have a yeah. project up and running which is Sorry, exciting I was so excited about i was excited about the collaboration between musician and filmmaker ah uh, see i brought oh, it back but oh, now i'll talk the about colla- the collaboration oh, between the collaboration me and between me music best and mate. filmmaker yeah delicious. you see you see we oh, should get into that mate we should get into that all right you see really music should. no worries mate no worries pal i've got your back mate it's all right <laughs> anyway <coughs> you anyway. and you and nath uh, tell, 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 Friend of the Sorry podcast, Nath. Me and Nath. Uh, have you ever... Uh, I told you about Nath before. Nath's my best mate. Nath. <sighs> anyway. <Nath laughs> Do a really speedy guitarist. version of He's, it. Nath. Ha ha ha. Carry on. <laughs> <laughs> Should we do one there? Uh, just a really filthy version. <laughs> you dirty bastard. <laughs> He's a dirty bastard. He is. Bastard, not bastard. No, bastard. it just sounds better when you say bastard. We both love bastard. Sharp. We watched that together. That's got a great theme tune. But anyway... Me and Nathan have been working on the album. We're working on an album and I'm so excited. He's been sending me um, stuff uh, over... Basically, you've sent me videos. I wanted to talk about the kind of collaborative experience me and Nath have been having because obviously we're trapped in isolation from each other, which is intensely wrong, as we all know, um, but obviously totally necessary. And I wanted to talk about really how we're working from a distance 
or remote working from each yeah, other. Yeah, absolutely. What at the moment we're doing is Nath, uh, if he's coming up with any ideas, riff or something, he'll record that onto his uh, Cubase, he'll send that over to me, um, and he'll film it, but with some kind of basic ideas for drums. Because, again, working at everyone's skill sets, one of the things I'm good at is working out how things are going to work out in a band context with drums, with bass, etc., and how you're going to create an atmosphere outside of simply one instrument, um, but develop an idea you know into a into its own context so something nath has been doing has been recording himself playing to stuff um with some basic drums and then sending it over to me so i can refine it and really kind of turn it into a song i've talked about that before and often that's down to the singer because they're the person who's, who's coming up with the kind of vocal ideas i've talked about that in the past um with you know who's a band leader and it's it's often either one singular person or it's it's a duo and mm-hmm. that's always been me and nath and really that that kind of developed as we were talking earlier from working with other people as we grew up and other people not really being kind of confident enough in themselves to bring up ideas and not take it personally when they were rejected. Yeah. You know, me and Nath developed that together. Um, and it's, it's an interesting kind of similarity between us, which is really kind of what this podcast is all about is working out what's similar about our, our experiences and what's different about our experiences. And yeah, being able to bring up ideas with each other. I suppose that's a message today is, is, you know, be okay with being rejected. And that's going to happen oh. not just in a creative sense, but in um, in every part of, of being a creative person. You know, when you're applying for things, you, you know, when you're trying to get published, if you're writing, you know, anything to do with that. Yeah, I was I was actually oh. having a very similar conversation the other day about dealing with the rejection of it because I've applied for something that I really, 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 really hope I get. And the deadline yeah. was on Friday and I was explaining to someone... My, I have my my system. This might not work for everyone, but here's mine. I give it a week. I give it a week from the deadline. And during that week, refresh your emails every day if you want to. <laughs> Obsess. Get your. I read. Ah, oh, I read a, a book called Talent Isn't Enough by Charlotte Thornton, and it was really yeah. really good. And the point she made in it is. Don't try telling yourself not to get your hopes up because even if you're lying to yourself, your hopes are going to get up anyway. Let yeah. your hopes get up and get better at dealing with the rejection if, if you don't get your way. Yeah. And I totally agree because your hopes get up. But um, yeah, so I always give it a week. I give it a week where I sit and go, oh, I might hear back, I might hear back. Oh my gosh, what if I got this? Oh my God, it'd be so much fun. Well, I'd have to do this and I'd have to do that and I'd have to read this and I might have to book somewhere to stay while we do that. You know, I get all yeah, excited. Yeah. And then when that week is over, like just a thousand percent, just let it go. It doesn't yeah. exist anymore. I have never once, I truly cannot think of a time that I looked up who got a part I was up for. Because it's not my, mm. it's not my part. It's no one's part. I'm even when I've had re- the hardest rejection for me was applying to drama school because that was a bit different. That was a specific goal that I worked towards yeah. and put time yeah. and effort towards. And so many times did I get to the final round and not get in or get put on a waiting list and then not get in so that was very emotionally draining but on a day-to-day basis with jobs and auditions get as excited as you want when did it become a bad thing to get excited about your job do you know what i mean get excited yeah it might suck if you don't get it but yeah i my rule is give it those seven days and then just completely just let go it wasn't yours to begin with and move on boom i'll tell you what um join in with something funny Something slightly funny. Yeah. That comes from... Um, okay, so, you know, we Battle of the Bands are a thing, right? 
Yeah. This is a band story. Oh right? my god, Freaky Battle Friday. Thing. I've actually done. I've been really chuffed with Battle of the Bands for me. We've entered the right ones and then we've won a few, quite a few, which is really nice for us. We did one Battle of the Bands, right? And I'm not going to say who it's with, um, but it's a, it's with a, a kind of a, a company, right? Mm. Who do a lot of this one particular type of festival, okay? Mm. So. This company, like a lot of organisations in the music community, they have their own record label. Now, I'm not saying anything about that, except that I, we didn't want to be signed to it. Okay. Is all I can tell you. Fine. Okay. So, <laughs> we did this Battle of the Bands, and there's three things that you get um, for the top three people. The, f- the, top, the, the third band gets to um, uh, play at this, this small local festival, right? The second band gets to go to Ibiza and play a really pretty big festival. And the first band, the band who 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 wins overall, gets signed and they play the biggest one of their festivals, right? Mm. And probably some more afterwards. And we were like, hey, we're in this competition. We never go out to be like, we're definitely going to try and win something, right? So we won Bloodstock without... We weren't like, bloodstock, you know. We were just mm. like, yeah, we'll do it because we're a band and we just love playing in front of people, right? Yeah. And that's what we went on this particular um, Battle of the Bands. And we knew we'd done quite well because it was done, I think, 70% ba- um, audience vote and then uh, 30% judge vote, right? Yeah. And people really loved us after we came off stage, right? So we, we did this. We, I'll explain quickly. There was a Battle of the Bands gig up in Sheffield and then the bands got these awards. We went to Sheffield. We did this gig. We got a really good reception. Like, really, 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 they were loving us and they wanted to screw out for more, but we had allotted time, right? Yeah. So we were like, okay. I mean, we'd love to be third or second. I mean, if, if, if we, like, say no to this record deal... If we get first, that that's not gonna look good. Like we are not no. gonna come off in the community too well, like that, right? Yeah. Like it's not gonna be good for us. So they said, okay, everyone. At the end of the night, all the bands have played, and some some other bands have gone down great as well, really, really, really well. And we were like, okay, this is cool. Okay, so we were like, we might get third, maybe. And so they at the end of the night, they get up. And they say, okay, guys, we're going to announce the um, winning bands. And someone had whispered in my ear, you guys have got loads and loads of votes for the crowd, right? This is really good. And I was like, okay, this is, this is cool. This is fun. This is fun. It's a laugh. And they go, right, first band, uh, third place, this band. Way. And I was like, okay, that's not us. Which is good Second and bad. Band. <laughs> Hell's Gazelles. Oh, thank fuck for that. Oh, Jesus Christ. <laughs> so and you kind of didn't so want to win. You got exactly what you wanted. Yeah, we have never been so happy. I mean, I've never been so happy to come second place in my life. I think you've I mentioned to go to going Ibiza. to Ibiza. You've told us about it before, actually. I know. I was so I was so happy about it. Yeah. But it's it's like, it was just like, oh, like usually in a Battle of the Bands, you, you kind of want to win. Even if you're not like there to you know you're not like being all you know too ambitious and stuff you kind of want to win but coming second place was literally the best thing that could have happened and we had an amazing gig in Ibiza there we go that's a nice little story just for me nice little story just for you for me just for me um you know what we haven't even discussed yet what haven't we discussed Muppets casting oh my god 
Ladies and gents, what happens is one of us provides the other one with a famous bit of media, a famous story, a famous film, a famous uh, anything, and we turn all of the characters into Muppets except for one human. Amber, Les Miserables. So, so far, what have we got? So, I am thinking, you, yeah, what's the name of the eagle guy? I just call him the, the blue eagle guy. Oh, 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 oh. I have such a... Oh, I have such a... What's the word? Provocative suggestion. <gasps> oh, provocative. People are going to be mad at me for this. Am I? Well... Are we? Well, if you think about it, usually yeah. Kermit and Miss Piggy end up together. What if... Oh, shit. What if... So the Holy obvious fuck. the obvious thing would be to have Kermit and Miss Piggy as um, oh my god all their names are falling out of my head let him live as you know, yes as Cosette and Marius right yeah that would be the obvious thing and Miss Piggy's yeah. vocal range would work for Cosette she's a soprano but what mm. if what if this uh, uh, time today I learned Miss Piggy was a soprano but um, continue. <laughs> Okay. What if just this once Miss Piggy was playing Eponine and she sings on my own? That would be insane. I've had a funny idea. Oh my god. I I know. That's what is heartbreaking? I know. But <laughs> I is should Kermit, work in casting. Is Kermit, um what happened cuz she had uh, uh what I can't remember what happened to the character. Did the guy die or did he leave her? No, okay. No, what, no, 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 no. Oh, baby boy. Eponine I can't is, remember. I haven't Eponine seen it in ages. is possibly the most sought after acting role for all women like oh, all yeah. girls who grew up Anne singing Hathaway. grew up no 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 no. Anne Hathaway <laughs> played Fontaine sweetheart don't oh no. yeah sorry I got confused oh I'm getting Eponine so sings right on now. my own so Eponine uh, it kind of grew up kind of working class streetwise girl she was she grew up in love with Marius who's very educated university boy Cosette was Eponine's like adoptive sister yeah. daughter of Anne Hathaway's character who then gets adopted by Jean Valjean. It's a very complex story. Oh, yes, story. of course. Sorry, I mixed them up. And the, them and up. the man she loves ends up with Cosette. So Cosette looks like she's going to end up miserable and she ends up with the happy life. And Eponine is just one of the most tragic characters. And when she sings, oh, no, because then, oh, no, it has to be that. Because then you've got Little Fall of Rain, which is the song that makes me cry every time I hear it. Which So, when Epi- so then when the revolution happens... Spoiler, massive fucking spoiler. Fast forward now if you actually don't know how Les Mis ends, but you live under that fucking rock. Anyway, so towards the end, Eponine, I know, right? Eponine uh, goes in disguise so she can fight in the battle. She gets injured. She dies in Marius's arms. And it is the most heart-wrenching song. I saw it when I was 12. And it was the first thing I'd seen apart from Lion King. And it taught me how to feel um it taught me how to feel so to her and she sings things like she basically her character is done and is just happy the lyrics are things like i'll sleep in your embrace at last so i'm saying miss piggy could be eponine uh you know the two old men <laughs> you know those Obviously, ones yes yeah. they should be master of the house no 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 and then one of them the other one is going to be in drag as madame Tenardier. obviously because that would just be fucking hilarious yes thinks he's such oh, a lover mate, but there's not that. much I can there. imagine that so I guess that would leave Jean Valjean as a human if we no, I, I, I shouldn't be contributing no no contribute it's occurred to me that, that Gonzo and Rizzo the rat would also be brilliant 
as the uh, the landlady or the landlord? Would. That's such. Oh no, no! Oh my god! What if Gonzo and Rizzo the Rat are the ones like leading the revolution? What are the characters called? You know the ones that sing like Eddie Redmayne. Red. Um, da, da, no, Eddie Redmayne plays Marius. The ones who sing. That's do you hear song. the people sing and who um, end up dying? Oh. So yeah, that could be yeah. Gonzo and Rizzo. They could be the young leaders of the revolution who sing like Drink with Me. All of that. Oh, oh, oh no, what about what about the adorable little boy who's in it? Yeah, that's the that's the one I wanna know. Who's the adorable little boy? Is it Elmo? I don't know, doing a, a it... cameo from Sesame Street. <laughs> um Oh my goodness, that's gonna be difficult. That's gonna be difficult. Rizzo could do it. Rizzo could do Is it. Is there anyone actually genuinely cute from From the Muppets? Well I mean they're all cute. What are you mm, They are. But you remember they had baby Muppets, remember that? Uh, that was the that was the thing. Do you remember, Muppet Babies, sorry, they were called Muppet Babies. Muppet Babies, and they had a whole, whole little cartoon show where they were Muppet Babies. Do you, do you remember, remember when they did? Um, I definitely remember. Looney Tunes, but as babies. Looney Tunes Juniors. That's a great piece of music, by the way. Yeah, it was great. Cartoon Network Kids and things like that. I never had Cartoon Network. I was I a disadvantaged child, clearly. I think there are a lot of characters in Les Mis. It would have to... They'd have to be a lot of Muppets that they, like, generate. You know, like when they do the big group sequences, there would yeah. have to be a lot of, like, extra Muppets thrown about. Oh, we have hmm. to get the chef in. When would the chef show up? Oh, in Master <laughs> of the House. Mix it in the oh, mincer and pretend <laughs> it's beef. <laughs> yeah. Who's Mimi and um, Dr. Honeydew? Yeah, I was Professor just thinking Honeydew. that. They'd have to be quite aristocratic. Beaker. Do you mean Beaker? Yeah, Beaker. Beaker. Me, 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 me. They'd have to be. They'd have to be someone aristocratic. Feel, They're not. I feel working like class. they'd just be walking past in the background, just talking crap about people. Yeah. Isn't yeah. that so <laughs> Mimi. Uh, I mean, the main thing is, who are you going to cast as uh, Jean Valjean? No, I think Jean Valjean would have to be the human. Yeah. I. I mean, can I just say, mm. I think some people weren't kind to Hugh Jackman on that, and I thought he was brilliant when when he was in the Les Misérables film. I thought it was really good. Most people don't like it. I have many opinions like about that film. Why not? I oh, like I think it was a very good film. I think that they sh- if they were going to do it the way they did it, they shouldn't have done the music. If you okay, if oh, fair, you want yeah, it yeah. to be the big names who aren't necessarily the best singers, and you want it to be the big ship and all this iconic war stuff, all of that was beautiful. And yet, whenever it came to things that come from the actual musical, it fell really painfully flat. Really? So I just think it should have been a war movie. And I'm okay with that. Les Mis is a book, after all. But if you're going to do the film, like, what anger... Again, so you know how I've said that... Um, on my own is is a song that every girl who grew up singing musical theatre yeah. has dreamt of playing that part. I tell and you what, they I kept... get sick of singing, sick hearing that at musical. Um, I'm sure when you I did, did because we're all in love with it. I'm still in love with that song. It, it's never too much for me. But my point is, for some reason, that she was the one actor that they actually took out of theatre. She, I think, she either worked in Broadway or the West End, and she hmm. was a beautiful singer. And I don't know why she got directed to sing it like this. On my own, pretending well, happens, yeah. he's 
beside me. Why are you cutting every opportunity for a big, beautiful note? It's one yeah, of the most yeah. iconic music. I just don't agree with the decisions. And, you know, everyone's a critic and what, not everyone's going to agree. agree. With the decisions. I don't agree with them. I don't, I don't agree, agree with, with the decisions. decisions. I'm really, really I do mad. like that they got the original, um, they got the original Jean Valjean from the West End production to do The Priest, didn't he? Yeah, that's cute. On the topic of Hugh Jackman, what really annoys me is he... Okay, when he sings Who Am I, he is singing one of the most iconic songs in musical theatre history, and I don't know why they made it Who Am I, and then he spoke, I'm Jean Valjean. Are you... I'm Jean Valjean. It's yeah. supposed to be that, isn't it? Yeah. Which is such a great no. And so, Javert, you'll see it's true. This man bears no more guilt than you. And it it's just such got a great. Um, yeah. I'm Jean Valjean. And, and that, that pissed me off. That was like when Dumbledore exactly. goes, Harry, why did you put your name in the Goblet of Fire? Exactly when in the book, it's like, that's, that, you, everyone listening should, should know what that means. Why, yeah. why that. But, but that's, um, I'm Jean Valjean. And it's a build up to the fucking huge note Two, at the end. Four, six, oh, one. So yeah, it's, it's amazing. fucking great. Um, and uh, oh my god, yeah, yeah, I uh, yeah. Why does he do that? That really annoys me. Um, I don't. He's know. actually doing it. I think he's doing it to a, a tone down as well. That might just be you know. You, but again, that, if you're people. gonna if you're gonna make this huge budget A list cast musical film, fucking put it in the right key for the actors. Yeah. Yeah. Because I will say, Anne Hathaway did a stunning job. She really hmm. did. Oh, it was emotive as, as hell. Oh, that, the one, the the one shot. Again, though, again, a decision that makes me really, really angry. Anne Hathaway's acting was stunning. However, the whole point of Fontaine is that she yeah. starts off the story quite unapologetic. She's in the workhouse. She's saying, stop reading my fucking letters. That's none of your business. Yes, it's true there's a child and the child is my daughter. And the father abandoned us and I send them money. And what's that got to do with you? She's quite yeah. a feisty girl at the beginning. And the whole point, the whole point of the first ah, act... Ah. You've got me so mad. The whole point of the first act is that you are watching that character get broken level by level. She sell, she loses her job. She sells her hair. She loses her body. Yeah, she yeah, loses yeah, yeah. her life. You're you... seeing someone being taken away piece by piece. Exactly. Literally, figuratively and literally. Exactly. And for some reason in the film, she started off like that, which just took away so much of the tragedy. And this yeah, is yeah. why, and this is why, and we'll, we'll maybe have to bring this up on a different episode. This ah! is why, when I if found out, everyone at home Amber is pointing very so aggressively. aggressively this is why when I found out the same director was doing Cats I called it it was going to be terrible because he oh yeah I, I said years ago that director should not be doing that musical Cats is a fantastic musical it's a stunning musical and I'll fight anyone who disagrees with me but he should not have been making it into a film trust me guys she's got a meme right hook but continue <laughs> Anyway, so I just I just made I, sure um, that I never get cast by that director. <laughs> I saw. <laughs> Look, we I all saw, have opinions. Uh, I saw the trailers for it. I saw the trailers for it, and I was just like, uh, "That was that's going to be a bit pants, isn't it?" This is the and, thing, though. I knew um, before the trailer. I knew years before. The thing is, there's some brilliant actors in it. You know, there's um, some actors I don't, I'm not a huge fan of, but there's some actors that are brilliant. And apparently, uh, Serena McKellen's. Um, portrayal is amazing. Saria McKellen is, is cast it, as the perfect it. character for him because he plays Gus the theatre cat who is a very old 
cat who loves theatre. It's perfect for Makes him. Makes sense. And perfect, also, mate. one thing about the cats, I haven't actually watched it, if I'm being honest, but one thing about the cats <sighs> film that I love is, again, there's a nod to the original cast. So, tragic story is, I mean, she's fine, but Judy Dench Ooh. was the original, she was going to be the original Grizabella. And what happened was she got an injury during rehearsals and couldn't do it. And Andrew Lloyd Webber was like, we can make this work. We can make this work. And she was like, I can't do this. I'm in so much pain. And then it got given to Elaine Page, who is an incredible musical theatre performer. But it was actually Judi Dench's part first. There we go. She and her husband went abroad when it got when it dropped in in the West End because she was going to be she knew it would be really heartbreaking. So the fact that they brought Judy Dench in her elder years back to be old Deuteronomy, I think is stunning. Absolutely stunning. But that person should not have been doing that musical. So this leads us through to what human is is Jean Valjean? Oh, I'm sorry. In our Muppets <laughs> casting of Les Miserables. Oh, who would Amber. I cast to play Jean Valjean? <gasps> yeah. Oh my gosh. If you're doing a human. There is an actor that I saw in Les Mis Live. And he has understudied Jean Valjean for like 10, 15 years. I would choose him. Can't remember his Good. name, but stunning singer. We'll pick you, but that guy, unknown man. He's also very hot. Can I just <laughs> say one thing? Yes. Um, I love something else in my life. New tricks. I love. I love the, the. I love a lot of kind of uh, British TV um, from like 2000s and uh, late 90s, and the the mystery investigative show New Tricks. And there's a character in that played by Alan Armstrong called right. Brian, um, who's hyper intelligent. And Brian, Alan Armstrong, that is, was in the original West End production of Les Miserables. Les Miserables. Um, as the landlord, which I didn't realise. And he's a fantastic singer. And I didn't know this about him. He's also a brilliant, brilliant actor. Yeah. And there's one scene in New Tricks where he, he, he just recites some Shakespeare just off the cuff. His character does. It's not off the cuff, really. Mm. But um, he's a brilliant, brilliant actor. So that's nice. Amazing. Um, just to kind of wrap up talking about collab and the fact that I was talking about Judy Dench. Last point I want to make: um, the creative process. I don't think it's supposed to be a one-person thing. I, I no. think even so. When I was reading, it was either in the book by Judy Dench that I read, or in one of her interviews, she said that her worst nightmare would be a one-woman show because hmm. she does it for the interaction for that communal creativity and especially after being in lockdown I could not I mean I always agreed with her then but I couldn't agree with her more now the things that I miss are everyone standing around a piano and stupid ass Mm. warm-ups and I'll even I even miss like tech runs and all the warm-up games I hated like zip zap boing like that's where the fun is and that's where creativity is Mm. um and yeah, I mean, most even even when people do a one person show, like I've got a friend who's who's getting a one a one woman show together. She's employing directors because you need someone else in the room with you. Creativity yeah. and art is not supposed to be an echo chamber. It that's not what it is. So you, if you can find out the ways to to like you know work with people and collaborate, then you're mm. gonna you're gonna find yourself right in the delicious caramel center of why we love what we do. 
And here we are once again at the end of another episode of Riffs and Scripts. You've been listening to myself, Cole Bryant, and my buddy, Amber Sava. We've chopped up this episode just a little bit because we're going to give you some more goodness in a future weekly episode. But remember, folks, if you want to ask us some questions, just chuck us an email at riffsandscripts at gmail.com. All the best, folks.